the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jim. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to City Church Eastside. My name is Dan DeCriccio, one of the elders here. Happy Father's Day to the fathers here in the room. Excuse me, I have to go do something. I'll be right back. Got your attention, right? Got your attention. You know I'm a drummer. I play drums, and I love this psalm for the obvious reason, of course. You know, I know that sometimes loud drumming is a little bit off-putting. Not to me or, or Ben over there, of course. You know, you have that crash cymbal that makes quite a loud noise, and we have it validated in Scripture God's word that crashing loud cymbals is A-OK. Can I get an amen here, friends? Amen. Bang those cymbals. Praise the Lord. That cymbal I just hit, I just said, you know, is a crash cymbal, one of Ben's. You know, there's other cymbals on that drum set over there. There's a ride cymbal, and then there's a hi-hat cymbal as well, too. And those are more time-keeping cymbals. But the crash serves a very unique purpose on the drum set. It, it does what? It gets your attention. That got your attention, right? Get your attention. It sort of signals a transition. It reorients you in the song. When you hear the crash cymbal crashing, it reorients you. It knows there's a change. Like, for example, hey, we're in the verse now, in the verse, and then we hear a crash cymbal. Now we go to the pre-chorus. Another crash cymbal. Maybe we go to the bridge or to the actual chorus of the song. Attention, change, reorientation. I mean, just think of the worship song, Living on a Prayer. You know, dot, 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 crash. you got to hold on to what we got. Then big booms, crash. you got to sing with me. Oh, living on a prayer. Yes, exactly. Andy, we're going to put that song in there, right? Okay, in the, in the canon. I don't know. That could, we could get in trouble for that. I remember uh, one of the first series that we had on the Psalms here at City Church Eastside. Back in like 2008 or 2009, Pastor Scott... In the, uh, what was that, Studioplex, he talked about psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And when we read the psalms, we see these themes, and that still, you know, sticks with me today as I read the psalms. You think about psalms of orientation, you know, that's being attuned, as Mike talks about, being attuned with the Spirit, being aligned with the Spirit, shalom, connection with the Lord. Talk about disorientation. What is that? That's, that's a lament. It's feeling outcast, you know, frustration, possibly doubt. And then reorientation. We have a turning. We have repentance, forgiveness, hope, and then praise. Pretty much all the psalms, you know, fall into those three categories. And these psalms are thoughtfully organized. Uh, Many times we we think of it as a song book, but it's actually a prayer book. It's actually a prayer book for Israel as well as us. It really represents the people who are trying to be faithful to God and his law, waiting on the coming Messiah. Those are the Psalms. And so Psalm 150 today is the last Psalm 
in this prayer book. Actually, it's the last one. And it ends a series of five psalms that are really referred to the Hallelujah psalms. The Hallelujah, which means praise, and Yah, which means Yahweh or God. So when we say Hallelujah, it really means praise God, praise Yahweh. So our premise today is, is that a joyful worship of the Lord reorients us to worship in spirit and truth and love and service. It reorients us when we do this to live in spirit and truth, worship and love and service. Those are our points today. Just two. You know, in Luke 11, we find Jesus praying to the Father God and the disciples are intrigued, aren't they? They're intrigued. They're curious. One of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus responds with what? In Luke 11, 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. According to Jesus, how, do, how are we supposed to start talking to God? How are we supposed to start a conversation with God? That's really through worship, joyfully identifying God as who he is, God, and then that we are to align our ways his ways, his desires, which is that his kingdom would come. Sort of like saying, God, your name is great. You are worthy of praise. And I want what you want. And actually, when we start this way, we start with praise, appropriately giving God his due worthship. We actually receive wisdom. We actually become smarter from it. We actually get a benefit. You know, in Proverbs, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And, you know, fear, the word fear there can be a little off-putting. It really just also means just reverence and respect for God, giving God his due worthship. That's why our title today is Worship to Worship, that worship actually generates more worship, that our full-throated acknowledgement of who God is, his worth, his worthiness, actually produces a more worshipful life in us. And like the crashing symbols that we just did a couple of minutes ago, it reorients us, right? It gets our attention. It's our attention. It actually gives us wisdom, and Scripture tells us that this wisdom is the foundation for living and good judgment, and it starts with worship. Last weekend, I was uh, crashing some symbols. I was with some friends up in uh, Kentucky at a musical retreat, a nice time on a lake up there jam some tunes. On our way there, we drove past this sign, which I think we'll be able to put up there on the screen. It's actually huge. (laughs) It's a little scary, isn't it? It's scary looking. You know, the sign, um, you know, here, of course, if it was not in Kentucky, but say Times Square, would be quite controversial, right? But um, practically speaking, you know, Maybe it shouldn't be. I mean, if you met someone who wanted to be your friend, you would probably hope that they wouldn't cheat on you, they wouldn't uh, hurt you, they wouldn't steal from you, uh, they wouldn't lie to you, and also they wouldn't have ulterior motives for your relationship, right? I mean, I think whether you're a Christian or not, you would agree that, yeah, I would want a friend who wouldn't do those things to me. So question... How many of you have cheated, stole, 
hurt someone else or lied? Yes, yeah, so a show of hands. Yes, okay. Fine, don't be shy, unless I'm, I'm amongst the, the invisible church here. And how many of you have been cheated on, stolen from, lied to, or manipulated? Yes, many of us have been hurt by that as well, too. If this is just common sense, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to be a peacemaker, keep the commandments? You can't have the second half really without the first half. You know, the first half is all about our relationship to the Father God. I'll just give you the first two here. You shall not have any gods before me. You shall not make any idols. The first two commandments uh, in the Ten Commandments. Now, why is this important? Uh, Pastor Tim Keller in the book Counterfeit God says this, An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that's so central and essential to your life that if you were to lose it, your life would be hardly worth living. An idol drives us to break rules we once honored to harm others, even ourselves, in order to get what we want. Hmm. You know, when we're the center of the universe, when our morality is, is centered really just on what we want, instead of being curious about what God wants for our lives, it makes it easy to break the rules. I mean, we even break our own rules, don't we? We're just rule breakers. I mean, how many in here have a, a problem with, you know, continuing a fitness program or a diet past March, you know, on January 1st? Like, we break even our own rules that we make for ourselves. We're rule breakers. Now, this says something about our self-centeredness. We can't even follow our own self-centeredness a lot of times. I know I can. We get uh, uh, some help from Paul in Romans on this to better understand, like, what are we to do? Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship, your spiritual worship. Now, this doesn't mean, like, actually, like, sacrificing yourself, some Something like that. It means laying down our self-centered agenda that we have where we're the center of the universe. And again, being curious and pursuing what God's agenda might be for your life. For his plans are not to hurt you or harm you. They're for you to thrive. Those laws that we just talked about up there, they're not, you know, burdens. Common grace, common sense. This is how we create shalom and peace. So we should have a curiosity of what his ways are and maybe what his will could be for our life. I don't know about you, but my heart's sort of like the condiment shelf in our fridge. I was at Lidl the other day, which I learned that's how you pronounce that, Lidl, German company, you know, down there on Memorial Drive. They got some cool condiments in there, you know, some great mustards. I mean, it's a German company, so of course they're going to have lots of great mustard. And all these, like, hot sauces and other things. And, like, I'm in my zone. Like, oh, what kind of sauce can I buy today? They got that Beano sandwich sauce, like 14 of them, different flavors. I love sandwich sauce. That's, that sauce on the sandwich, bite into it. Oh, I'm getting hot. I'm getting excited. You talked about veto rights. I'm going to the sandwich shop maybe for, uh, for Father's Day after this. Get some sandwich sauce on there. But here's the problem. I can't buy really any of that stuff because my shelf in the fridge is filled with a bunch of junk and a quarter of it is expired salad dressing. 
You know what I'm talking about? Friends, you might be coming in here this morning with a lot of expired salad dressing in your heart. In your shelf of hearts or heart of shelves. You know, maybe me asking us to make room for God and put Him first, maybe it's a little bit difficult. I know it can be difficult for me many times on a Sunday. Because I'm coming in here with some, some junk on the shelf. You know, it feels disorienting. Maybe you need to feel like, hey, I need to clean up my act before I come here to church. I've heard that many times. Many people have felt that. Maybe there's shame, as we were talking about before, and maybe how you've hurt or cheated others. Or maybe there's pain associated with and trauma in terms of how you have been treated in your life, too. Maybe treated even by the church as well, too. That's unfortunately a common thing, isn't it? Or maybe it's a longing that you have. Some pain associated with waiting for so long for something that is a good thing. Something that you're longing for. And that hurts and it's disorienting and you're coming in here today and it's hard to worship. I feel you. Jesus encounters a disoriented woman early in his ministry. The Samaritan woman at the well. A woman who's been in the throes of adultery. A woman who has likely been used and abused by men. A woman likely with longings for goodness in her life and hope. And of course, Jesus does challenge her, but he also says this. He says that the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Spirit and truth. Now, if you know the story, Jesus, of course, tells her the truth. He wants her to live in truth and also tell the truth. The truth is sort of like the crash symbol, right? It reorients us. It gets our attention. But the spirit, on the other hand, is sort of like the hi-hat and the ride symbol. It helps the song along. It keeps the time. It maintains the alignment of all of the other instruments. It helps, doesn't it? helps the song. Uh, Lord knows I need a helper, friends. I, I need help. I can't love the Lord or worship fully or love my neighbor without spiritual power, without help. Uh, rule of life that I've come up with in 2023 is that I want to be a man who is hospitable, humble, and honorable. Hospitable, humble, and honorable. Now, hospitable comes easy to me because I like cooking food and I like making drinks and I like people coming over to my house, maybe jamming some tunes or something like that. Humble and then honorable. Sometimes I just want to throw a toddler temper tantrum when I can't get my candy. I want what I want and being honorable a lot of times is really what I struggle with and just temptations associated with that. But I so want to be like that. I need help. I need help, Lord. So my ask for us today here, as we close the first point, is that that, uh, we're to worship God in spirit and truth. Let's try it this week. Just try it, you know. Try before you buy. (laughs) Let's try it. Let's try to worship Him in spirit and truth, and that we would pray, if we would believe that we actually have help with the Spirit, that He would, you know, expose 
or maybe identify the expired salad dressing that's sitting in our heart and help us sort of clean the, the fridge out just a little bit to make some room for God. Allow him to do that work. I'm pretty sure that by doing that or trying that will motivate us to um, a lack of self-centeredness. Maybe for the first time in our lives or maybe to try it again. It will probably also motivate a greater desire to love. Not just God and our, our, ourselves, but also love our neighbors too as we make room for others. Now we read in our psalm this morning... Uh, a lot of praises that Jim provided us. Do you think this is a psalm of disorientation? No. This is this. Is, if you were to if you were to drop yourself in this psalm, like if it was a city or a town, you would know exactly where you are at. It is a psalm of praise. It is a psalm of orientation. It is a holy rave party for God. We see that clearly, and that's how we close out this prayer book of the Psalms. I mean, just read it. First section, Psalm. 150 verses 1 through 2. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. The second section here. Praise Him with trumpet sound, with lute and harp, tambourine and dance, strings and pipes, sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Awesome, right? First section's all about the deeds and work and character of God. Second section's all about how we respond to it. And it is a holy, wild, loud orchestra of praise. Why are we praising so much here? I ask that question. Why are we? What's the deal? Well, as Christians, we'd interpret this psalm as believing it's talking about the Messiah coming, Jesus coming. Well, the, the Jews knew that it was about the Messiah. We'd, of course, understand that as as Jesus. And for us, it's also about Jesus returning. Returning, it's sort of the, the now but not yet that you've probably heard us talk about here at City Church a few times. I mentioned that the Psalms are this intentional prayer book, and this Psalm 150 is an intentional prayer that's all about looking toward the Messiah coming, Jesus coming, and then Jesus returning. You may have picked up in regards to the return that we were referencing a few uh, examples from Revelation, for example, which is, of course, at the end of Scripture, the last book of the Bible. So look right here at Revelation 19, 6 through 7. It says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of the waters and sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! There we go again. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us... Rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Bride has made herself ready. In Revelation here, what is this? This is John foretelling the kingdom coming in its fullest. Kingdom coming. This is the beginning of the Lord's prayer that we pray. Coming again to fruition. Kingdom come. If you believe in Jesus, this is indeed your reality, friends. But back to the now, back to what we're talking about here in Psalm 150. The Israelites looked forward to the coming Messiah, to Jesus, with the same longing and joy that we look toward his return. Psalm 150 points to this reality that we have in Christ in the now, here today, 
on June, whatever, 18th, I think it is, 2023. It's what we have in John. John 3.16, baby, you know, the sign that baseball games always sign, you know, they, they, they hold up there in the background. What is that? Well, quite simply, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus has come to give life and give it abundantly. We have the love of Christ now, and it's that love that reorients us, friends. It's the power to transform relationships that we have in our midst on this side of heaven. It's the renewal of all things that we have posted up there that we remind ourselves every week as we walk into the sanctuary here. For if we are to be like Jesus, we are to come to serve, not to be served, just like him. If we are to be like Jesus, we are to be lovers because because he his friends are known by their love for one another we are to be lovers is to be quite apparent i'm sorry van halen i'm going to talk about love i know two people got that reference it's okay if two people get it i'm satisfied why is love important i just want to be loved is that so wrong someone once said Another deep reference there for two people. Seriously, what is love? Love covers a multitude of sins. It is what reflects the true character of God. If we are not loving, we are a, a lost symbol, a clanging gong. That's bad symbol, bad symbol. You're not to be lost. If you're playing a lost symbol, that's like free jazz, and free jazz is annoying. Sorry for you who like free jazz in the room. According to Michael Bolton, love is a wonderful thing, right? That is true. Love is powerful, but it's not simple. Love is powerful, but it is not simple. It's complex. It's dynamic. You know, in our world today, we try to oversimplify love, that it's simply a feeling. And many times it's much less than just a feeling. It's about circumstance. Jody Watley once said, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? That's how we love today. It's circumstantial. It's like a car lease or, or a, a mortgage expiration date on love. That's not God's definition of love. Let's go back to the Old Testament here. Love is so nice, it gets named twice. It's ahava and hesed, two Hebrew words for love. Ahava and hesed. Ahava is a dimension of love that could be best described as a deep affection. A deep affection. That feels good just even saying that. A deep affection. It's that loving feeling. It's the love that love songs are made of. You know, not just the love between a boyfriend and girlfriend, parent or child, or just even friends. A love between friends. It's the love and affection that compels us to actually love the unlovable. The love that, of people that are on the margins. This is what God commands. This is why he's a great lover. Deuteronomy 10, 19 says this, Love the sojourner. Therefore, you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Love those who are on the margins. Deuteronomy 6, known as the Shema. We are to call to love God with the same Ahava love. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And God's Ahava love goes well beyond just feelings. 
It's, it actually compels and creates action to love in action. Deuteronomy 4.37. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, he brought you out of Egypt. He saved you with his own presence and by his great power. I want you, it makes you want to hit some symbols, right? That's what's motivating the, the worship that we see in Psalm 150, this great love, this affection that God has for his people. But this doesn't stop there. How about God's chesed love? Another dimension of love. And what's that all about? It's best described as loyal love. Chesed love is loyal love. So think of a marriage service. Likely what has got you both to the altar is a lot of ahava love. Or a shotgun. No, just kidding. Ahava love. Some of you are married here in the room. I'm going to get escorted out here soon. Uh, some of you are married in the room. You know, your husbands, you know, as your wife came down the aisle, you probably got the feels of ahava love welling up in your heart. But you know, if you've been to a wedding, marriage ceremony is a lot more than just smooches and, and beauty. How about the vows? What are the vows all about? Vows are all, all about promise. Loyal love in the face of adversity. Loving when you don't want to love, but you've made a promise and you've got to keep that promise. Live in sickness and in health. God is also the author, the creator of loyal love as well. And we receive this loyal love in his steadfast commitment, not just affection, another dimension, commitment to us. And we see that all through the covenants. That's how he's expressing his love and his, his plan for us. You know, going back to what I preached about a couple of weeks ago about the uh, proto-evangelon in, in Genesis, the promise of the Savior, the Messiah to come, and then all through the rest of the covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then up into the new covenant, that we would get to have a relationship with God in spite of ourselves, thanks to the great lover God and the love that Jesus displayed, his hesed love on cross. Paul reminds us of God's loyal love for us in Romans 8. It says this, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, things in the present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in Christ our Lord. God is indeed loyal to you in spite of whatever junk or expired salad dressing that you have in your heart here this morning, he's going to keep his promise. But even more than that, we go back. that God actually has a deep affection and love for you. You are seen and known by him. Let that sink in. You know, that should motivate us to a spirit of worship, to a sort of reflecting what the author of Psalm 150 is talking about here. What should that love do? It should motivate us. It should compel us. It should compel us to serve. It should compel us to serve. We should love in the same way God loves us. I know it's hard to do, but remember, we have help. We have the Holy Spirit. When I say serve, friends, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is to go out there and get into a homeless shelter or sign up for city kids. And trust me, 
That is all important, and we need the help for sure. But I want us just to have an imagination and curiosity about what really receiving and then pouring out Ahava love and Hesed love looks like in even the mundane things that can really happen anywhere. What does it look like, you know, on the, on the soccer field, your kids? What does it look like, you know, uh, at the grocery store, at, at Publix? Maybe how you lead your team at work, how you love your wife or husband, how you handle your time, talents, and treasures, how you prioritize other people over yourself. And hear this, friends. A good diagnostic question is always, am I building up or am I tearing down? And what I'm doing, building up, or am I taking things apart? In love, we're always building. We're always building up. Never tearing down. I I ask us this week, as we think about our lives, what are we building up in love? Do we see the kingdom being built in coming and our expression of affection and committed love to God, each other, ourselves, our neighbor. The good news is that the kingdom is indeed coming. That's one of those promises talked about God's loyal love. He's going to keep his promise. The kingdom is coming. And I just ask that through our worship today, that it would breed more worship, that it would reorient us to worship God and cause beauty, peace, and devotion here in our midst as we bring spirit and truth to our city. Let us pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your love. Uh, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Father, it is difficult sometimes to comprehend. It's difficult to to receive and and also display that love because we've all been hurt. We've all done hurting. But today is a new day. And uh, as it says in Hebrews, encourage one another as long as the day is called today. And today is called today. So we receive your love, Lord. Renew us, reorient us, and send us to give that love away here to our city. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we always do here at City Church, we have the opportunity to respond. And we're going to actually respond a couple different ways.